What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Oasis Podcast. If you're in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you face-to-face on a Wednesday night at our main Park West campus. Make sure to check us out on social media at OasisPWC to stay up-to-date on everything going on here so that you can get plugged in and join the Oasis family. I hope that you enjoy this week's message. Let's jump in. Tonight, we're going to finalize our Facebook official sermon series. Um, And I'm going to give you a heads up. This is one of the more scripture-heavy sermons that I've maybe ever preached ever. I was running through it again today and was almost like surprised. Not that I don't usually preach out of the Word, but that there's so many scriptures. So be ready because this is a rich sermon. Amen. Anybody okay with that? There's a lot of scripture in here. Is anybody okay with that? Good deal. Good deal. If you've got your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. This has been our main passage for the entirety of the series. So at least one more time tonight, we're going to hit it and we'll pray together and see where we end up. Starting in verse 1, it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Title of tonight's message is Right and Wise. Right and Wise. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the honor that it is just to be in the room. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, that is our our prayer tonight What the worship team just declared. Place me on the potter's wheel and move me and change me and heal me until there's nothing left but you in my life. Tonight, we want to see you clearer and we want to make sense of how to navigate our relationships and our lives more clearly. So I ask that you would open hearts and minds, including my own, to hear your word and to be transformed by it tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. So confession, those of you that know me, you, you know that um, sometimes I have control freak moments. Yeah, I know. I really do, and I'm working on it. I'm an oldest child, and I'm the stereotype oldest child. And some of the younger siblings in the room, you just wrote me off so fast in that one sentence. But one of the few things that I tend to try to control is driving. I don't ride passenger well at all. Olivia can tell you pretty much every time we go anywhere, this guy's driving. And there are a few people, full transparency, that I really try not to ride with. My, my soon-to-be father-in-law, he is a great driver. He also terrifies the mess out of me when I ride with him. Now, the founder of Park West Church of God Gerald McGinnis, one of the greatest men on the planet. I trust him with my life in every situation except if he's driving. If I have it my way, I will never again have to go through that process, still healing from the fear in the moment. But while right now I am confident that I am a great driver, I have not always been such a great driver. When I was 16, we had this fire blue quest minivan and some of you know what i'm talking about this thing had the vhs player like in the console between where mom and dad would sit and i can't tell you how many times my two siblings and i watched rugrats go to paris so many times great movie 
classic, but it kept us at least partially quiet while we drove anywhere that we went. So even if we were only driving 15 minutes, my parents put that sucker in and played that movie for the extent of the drive to keep us quiet. Well, one bright, sunny Wednesday afternoon after I had turned 16 and officially had my license, I was on my way to church, and uh, at the time I was playing electric guitar for the youth worship team, and we were loaded up and ready to go. And my little brother and I pulled out of the neighborhood, and we swung a ride onto one of these back roads, and that was when it all went downhill. I overturned and did not correct, and the front tire went just enough off the road to where I was in a pretty sticky situation pretty fast, because the road dropped off pretty hard, and there was no getting back. (laughs) My whole life flashed before my eyes at 16 years old, and then all of a sudden, my brother and I felt this, and we were back on the road. Then I look back and realize that there's a telephone pole (laughs) that just so lovingly decided to accidentally act like a guardrail and smack this Quest minivan back up on the road. So Jeremy and I are looking at each other like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. 16-year-old me said a lot of things he shouldn't have said that he had to go back and repent for later. Then we pull out on the main road and we turn around and we make a U-turn and we come back and we pull back in the driveway and we realize he can't get out of the car because the door won't open. So I get out of the van, and he crawls over the top of the van, and we look at the van, and I say more things that I shouldn't have said. Again, I was only 16. God was really working on me. And we're looking at the van, and I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at the van, and I'm looking at him, and then we realize that there's a huge chunk of wood in the side of the van that the telephone pole just left its mark after it pushed us back up on the road. Now, my gracious, loving, wonderful parents were okay with it. They didn't kick me out of the house, like all those things. They put up with so much from me. (laughs) My gosh, I love my wonderful, gracious, patient parents. But I was thinking about this moment this week and thinking about how much worse this situation could have been if it hadn't been for this random, massive wooden telephone pole off the side of the road. The, it wasn't like this crazy ravine drop off, but it was definitely enough to where we could have flipped the van in the front yard of this dude's house coming off the side of the road. If we hadn't flipped the van because of the speed I was going, we were more than likely going to end up in somebody's living room of one of those houses right there off the road. So the grace of God sent this random telephone pole to operate like some kind of weird guardrail to keep me back on the road. The van took a beating in the process, But my brother and I were fine. A buddy picked me up for service. I went on to band practice and lived to to tell the story of the poor Quest minivan with the sweet VHS player that didn't cry. It was never the same after that, ladies and gentlemen. We didn't have it a whole lot longer after that. But this telephone pole operated like an accidental guardrail. If you've been at the church for a year or two, Pastor Jeremy, uh, our senior pastor, just taught this sermon series called Grace and Guardrails, where he took multiple weeks to talk through the different areas in our lives where it is wise to put guardrails in place and to kind of have fallback plans for how you're going to control your character. There's a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Maybe some of you have read it. One of those seven habits is being proactive instead of reactive. And what he means by that is just being intentional to decide who you're going to be and to have your for I don't think he uses this this term, but to have your guardrails in place so that you know who you are and how you're going to respond to things before anything happens and before the moment happens. Now, the thing about guardrails 
is that they weren't really meant to protect the car. <laughs> They're meant to protect you. If you've ever been in a car accident where a guardrail was involved, your car probably took a beating in the process. But generally where you see these massive metal guardrails is at a place where if you hit it, it's going to protect you from the drop-off on the other side. Well, tonight I want to talk about four areas in our relationships that we need guardrails. They won't feel good. These are things that are going to feel like fun suckers, <laughs> full transparency. But there are four different areas in our lives that I believe it is wise for us to put guardrails in place. Not because it makes the most sense in the moment, but because it protects you from severe damage in the long run. Deal? Oh, oh, oh. I'm preaching to myself tonight. Deal? Deal. Well, one more time. Deal? Deal. <laughs> Place number one that you need a guardrail is emotionally. We need emotional guardrails. Now, I'm going to run through four pretty quick different types of guardrails, and then we're going to look at a super practical way to apply this to all four. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We don't always recognize it at first, but people, the friends, the family, the loved ones, especially the romantic relationships, can become an emotional high really quick. There's nothing wrong with that. However, it can pretty quickly cause you to do and say things that a month or two before you would not have done or said. With our emotions in the relationship um, aspect of life, <laughs> what's up, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> what do you what do you think about it, man? Yeah, what do you think about it? Yeah, that's 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 up there. You yeah, that's up there. Go for it, man. <laughs> for the emotions in your life. We talked a little bit about this last week. It's possible to give too much of yourself away and for that to be totally dangerous. <laughs> It's possible to give too much of yourself away and for that to be dangerous. It's also possible for you to be so guarded that you don't open up at all. And that can be every bit as dangerous. So in our relationships, whether it's friend relationships, romantic relationships, family work, whatever, there is so much wisdom in having emotional guardrails set in place because it helps us keep healthy boundaries that'll keep us from acting different in the moment based off of whatever emotional high, whether that's anger or just lovey-dovey mushiness. <laughs> emotional guardrails protect you from a ton of trouble in the long run. Type two, physical guardrails. 1 Corinthians chapter six. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Jesus literally gave himself up to be in relationship with you. There's a creation theory. There's this love theory. The idea is that God being this, um, this three-in-one being, 
that he has some sort of community in himself, that he is a relational God, that he is a community-driven God, and that out of that love, he decides, I want to create something that can experience this love and relationship and covenant. Therefore, Adam shows up. Then you know the story. He says, well, it's not good for man to be alone. So we'll continue this and we'll build families and they're going to rule the earth and we're going to have this this community, this covenant represented throughout creation that mirrors his love and his own self. Well, (laughs) out of that love, he sends Jesus to live a sinless life, to die, to raise, so that there can be this restoration of that original plan of that relationship. So what Jesus did was done on purpose to restore the relationship between us and him. Amen? Okay, if we can agree on that, then this next part's going to make even more sense. It's not politically correct, but this scripture is so clear that our bodies are his. Right now, at this day and age, more than ever, There is a push that this thing is mine and I can do what I want with it. There are multiple phrases that even go along with it. And I'm just going to look down when I say it. This whole my body, my choice movement. It's not scriptural. Amen, pastor, preach that. It's not biblical. What he did on the cross, it redeems, forgives, and cleans all the filth and all the junk so that there can be a restoration. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we leave all the shame and all the junk behind. But that looks like a commitment to a beautiful, lifelong, eternal relationship with him. And what can happen is without physical guardrails, we can do things that are so far out of that context. Hear me. This is not a religious thing. This is not a legalistic thing. This is, there is such, I feel like such a Pentecostal preacher. I'm going to sling this thing around in the wind for a minute. This is not a rule book. (laughs) It's an instruction manual. And there were clear intentions for how this thing was going to operate and what was healthy and what was unhealthy. And when we try to step outside that, there's this mess of depression and anxiety and so much mess that goes along with it when we don't operate the way we were created to operate. Physical guardrails are maybe one of the most important things that you have in your life. And all four of these guardrails are going to intertwine and connect because generally there's an emotional connection that causes you to step past a physical guardrail into something that you never intended to step into. Third type of guardrail is mental guardrails. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought. Everybody say every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Everybody say obedient. Now here's the key part to this scripture. If the Apostle Paul thought it was important enough to tell us and instruct us to take our thoughts captive to make them obedient to Christ, that would lead us to believe that it is very possible for us to have thoughts that are not obedient to Christ. Fair? So we have to make an intentional decision to think on what is good, what is lovely, what is just, what is pure. Like we looked at last week in Philippians chapter 4. 
what happens emotionally, physically, our relationships accidentally can land in a place where we mentally are bombarded by all of this other stuff. It is one of the craziest things to watch, but I genuinely believe that one of the biggest idols that the enemy can set up in your life are other people. And if there's a little pushback from that statement, think about some of the worst decisions that you've made in your life. Probably nine times out of ten, it's connected to somebody you were hanging out with or trying to impress that you shouldn't have. And whether or not we want to claim it or not, that sounds a lot like idol worship to me. Woo, amen. Preach it, Pastor Caleb. (laughs) So setting up mental guardrails protects us from so much stuff that comes across easily. It's, it's accidental. Nobody makes a choice to, to just think about somebody all the time and let that rule your thoughts, and that becomes the God in your life. But having a game plan, being proactive about this, can save from a ton of trouble. And lastly, spiritual guardrails. 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And man, we live, whew, we live at a time when this is happening more and more frequently. And let me be completely honest with you. Do you know why doctrine gets changed and why morals get lessened? Because there are people in our lives that we love dearly, that will do and say things that don't line up with this. And the only way we know how to handle that and keep those people in a place where they know that they're loved is we change this. Because that's such a tension. How do you say that's not biblical and I don't agree with what you just said and it be received in a way that, that there's still love shown on both sides? So what's happening, especially right now with many, many different topics, even in the church, in fact, especially in the church, is because of the emotional connections we have with the loved ones in our lives, we fluctuate in our doctrines. Whew. It got real heavy real quick, church. So, emotionally, to to sum this up in one, one statement, emotionally, Physically, mentally, and spiritually, don't allow someone to be someone that they're not supposed to be in your life. Emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually, don't allow someone to be someone that they're not supposed to be in your life. That doesn't necessarily mean that all these people in your life, you make them your God. That, it doesn't always look like that. Sometimes it looks like being so fearful of somebody or so afraid of somebody that it causes you to act differently. But there is no force in life like our relationships to cause us to change who we are and the way that we act and the way that we handle things. And again, you can prove it when you look at your track record of the decisions that we've made in life that we go back and go, oh man, I wish I would have done that differently. And more than not, it's connected to the people in our lives that we loved or still do love. Now, I want to move quick to Matthew chapter 4. Everybody take a deep breath. I can feel the intensity in the room. It's wonderful. 
Matthew chapter four, a little bit of context. Jesus has grown up. He's no longer a little boy. He is, he's shown up on the map as the Messiah at this point. Uh, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. There's this crazy moment where the Bible says the heavens open and the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and this audible voice says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And what that does is now this Jesus that's in his early 30s that a lot of people knew, now everybody's going, wait a minute. This is the guy that the Jewish culture has been praying about and waiting on for years and years and years. He's the coming Messiah. He's the one that's going to save the world. He is the guy. So now he's here. Now Jesus is on the map. And the first thing that happens is the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. And that's where we're going to start in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, Well, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, well, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Well, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. We don't generally think of temptations in the context of the loved ones in our lives. But if we stop and we process the bad decisions we've made and how that generally is hand in hand with the loved ones in our lives. I want to break down this passage in those terms. Jesus withstood these temptations because he knew the truth that nothing would ever compare to what he had with God. And he wasn't willing to risk that for something fake. So the first temptation that you see is Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. Dude's hungry. There's no super spiritual thing to this. He's literally hungry. It's been 40 days. And the devil comes to him and says, you know what? You could turn that stone over there into bread and you'd be just fine. He is God himself. He can totally do that. And I genuinely don't think that God has a problem with y'all eating dinner. I think he's okay with that. So this, isn't, this doesn't have anything to do with eating but Jesus knew he wasn't done with the fast yet. A lot of times the relationships in our lives put us in positions where we'll quickly step into something that's not necessarily bad. God intended on Jesus to eat again, just not in that moment. How many times have we rushed into a, a dating relationship or even into a friendship that was bad for us when it wasn't necessarily the right time. Whew. That final temptation, I'm going to move quick, is the devil takes Jesus to this, this big mountain and he overlooks the city and he literally promises him everything. Now here's the kicker. Jesus already knows he's about to be ruler of everything. 
I also believe that he knows he's going to have to be crucified before that takes place. So the devil comes to him and he offers him a counterfeit version of what he's going to have later if he'll just worship the devil in the process. And I'm not going to insinuate that any of you have dated the devil himself. (laughs) But maybe it felt like it. (laughs) Because you rushed into something that looked like it was promising you what you were going to have later on. Instead of holding on through the temptation. Now, if we genuinely believe that it is God's will for you to have great relationships, great friendships, to marry the love of your dreams, for things to be incredible. If we genuinely believe that it is God's will for you to have that, then maybe we should process the fact that that means there's going to be a fake counterfeit attack for you to settle for something less and get distracted with something else. And again, we don't think about our relationships that way. And I'm not in any way trying to get you to leave here tonight terrified to talk to anybody because you're like, wait, everybody's fake. I can't, this ain't right. Like, like, that's not at all what the goal is. My intentions for tonight are to say this and this alone. Don't allow someone to be someone that they're not supposed to be in your life. And how are we going to keep from doing that? Super practical. We're going to put a couple guardrails in place. Emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. We're going to put a couple really simple Guardrails in place to guard from it. Turn to Proverbs chapter 2 real quick. I'm going to read through it really fast. Proverbs uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Come on, one more time. Wisdom. Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Man, how different would my life look if I was like interceding for understanding? I should start that more often. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. For wisdom, everybody say wisdom. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. So this passage saying, if we cry aloud for insight and understanding, you will find the knowledge of God. And wisdom and understanding and discretion literally guard you. For your own sake. And for the deepening of your relationship with God. Stop asking, is this wrong? And start asking, is this wise? When I was in high school, the high school pastor at the time, he preached this sermon and he, he taped this line across the floor. And he said, it is crazy to watch how often in life we turn to this book to figure out how far we can push the limits. 
and we will get right here on the edge of the line and even balance our way out so we can stretch out just as far as we can because it's not technically sin. Woo! But just because the Bible doesn't specifically say that it's wrong does not make it right. So we've got to stop asking, is this wrong? And start asking, is this wise? You want to know why? Because it is a lot easier to do the right thing if you're focusing on doing the wise thing. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. 2020, maybe the most important guardrail that you can have in your life is to use wisdom with this thing right here. I am not that guy that's going to say cell phones are bad and you need to stay away from it. It's just not, that's not, sorry, I don't buy all that. But I will say that somehow this little device fools us into thinking that there is some kind of other dimension that we enter in when we use it. And if you disagree with me, how dumbfounding is it that we send messages over this thing or put messages on social media that we would never say to somebody face to face. There's another dimension that this thing creates. So let me be clear. We think that the pictures that are sent through this thing are different than being face to face. They're not. We think that the conversations that are held in the middle of the night that may not necessarily be sinful aren't the same as having a conversation face to face, but they are. We think that the things we watch on this thing won't have long-term effect. It will. Trust me. Somehow, this little thing creates this crazy lie that there's another dimension that we enter in when we use it. So don't do or say something on your phone that you wouldn't do or say in person. And everybody's like, well, duh, Pastor Caleb. (laughs) Yeah, but remind yourself that about one o'clock tonight. Because I'm telling you, it happens. It happens. Nobody ever intends for mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually to lessen morals and character stances. But when we don't have these guardrails in place, and when we get as close to the line as we can to flirt with this thing, it gets real tricky real quick. Let me clarify, there's no condemnation in this message. (laughs) Because I've I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, made my share of mistakes. It's by the grace of God that it didn't mess up my life really bad. But the biggest guardrail that we can put in place is to stop asking, is this wrong? And start asking, is this wise? I want you to know that genuinely, biblically, I believe with utmost certainty that you are called to have incredible friends. That you are called to have an incredible life with a loving church family. I believe he has a hope and a future for you. And I don't want you to settle for something less. 
I don't want you to get so caught up in the physical tensions, in the emotions, in the mental baggage that we get so distracted that we say, yes, I want that kingdom, but you end up having to sign up for something a lot worse and get something a lot less. So mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, choose to do the wise thing because the wise thing is the right thing.